0: I mean, hearing David's story about his being kind of drawn to Poe, um, I mean, for me, that that seemed like a, a story about finding a queer space. Um, and, and I mean, I definitely feel like I had a similar attraction to the 19th century, though my queer space was mostly Melville. Um, I was drawn to those novels where I thought I was seeing... Queer representation, um, but I, I feel like David's uh, way in through Poe is the same thing. It's just a different, a different kind of a perspective on 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 the queer space um, that I think Poe ultimately gives us.
1: Everyone, Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby. I am so excited to pr- provide the next part of our Edgar Allan Poe discussion. So you all should have heard or you need to listen. So pause this right now and go back to the conference recap that I had with my grad student and new faculty friends. Um, giving the behind the scenes of what it's like to actually attend a literary conference, which I know to the general audience, you think we're all sitting around in a circle just reading books together, but there's a little more that happens at a literary conference. Um, So I'm so excited today because I'm joined with two very special guests. I consider them queer American lit mentors, guides, kind of like my Dante's Inferno guides into all things (laughs) queer studies. Uh, And I know that one of them is actually working on a book about devils and American literature. So I think hell and Halloween, we're in that space right now. So let me introduce them. I'm joined here with Paul Jones, who his recent book is called Poe, Queerness, and the End of Time, just published in the summer of 2022. Uh, So we're going to dive deep into that and then i'm also joined with david grevin who's writing a book right now called all the devils are here literary influence and american romanticism can't wait to read that david we're going to get into other works by both of them too that i'm sure will come up that i looked into when i first went to stony brook and went to the library stacks um so welcome you two i'm so glad that uh we're not in the salem sixteen ninety two uh, period right now because they would have seen these works, and uh <laughs> our heads would have been on the chopping block. Uh, <laughs> so welcome you two. This is so exciting. Um, thanks,
2: Andrew.
1: Oh thank you. I'm imagining
2: oh, you. all of us in the stocks,
1: yeah, well, that's true. They didn't yeah, it wasn't guillotine French Revolution style, but I don't know which is both are bad, but uh, <laughs> uh so you know, just laughing about some morbid uh, death uh, humor. Uh, So I was so excited to actually just meet you two because I had known, David, your work when I first learned about 19th century queer American studies and literature. And I gravitated to your uh, masculinity homoerotic work with Hawthorne, Melville, Poe. And then I just started to see this litany of books you've written. And it goes from like Hitchcock to I know he's working on a Ryan Murphy cinema book right now. Um yeah, I just want to know David and Paul, maybe what is your first memory of Poe or even just like anything in the nineteenth century with American literature? Like what was that moment where something registered for you of, huh, this is an interesting period,.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I I guess, you know, I remember a very um I, I mean, one of my biggest refuges as a kid was uh the used uh the used bookstore that I used to haunt, like, you know, some kind of apparition or something. But I, you know, I remember there was this really pulpy um, you know, copy of Poe's Tales mm. with some some ghoulish creature on the cover that looked like, you know for you know Mary Shelley's creature um and and you know I remember just being really drawn into just the 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 very consistent pervasive sustained atmosphere of gloom somehow that brought me in um and kind of in a weird way nourished me I felt like I belonged to this world somehow mm. um you know just the sustained I mean, these are all very, we consider them very negative aspects, right? Gloom, morbidity, uh, dissipation, uh, anxiety. But somehow, I guess, you know, especially being a kid in, you know, Reagan's America, I guess I felt that this was weirdly um, inviting and 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 sort of, like I said, nourishing, as opposed to like the sort of the bright, conformist atmosphere that was immediately outside of the bookstore right so um yeah that's that that that's my earliest memory of really connecting to Poe yeah um
0: and I'll just say I, yeah I was trying to um um recall wh- wh- where my first memory of Poe I, I don't have a vivid memory like David has um of, of I, I must have been introduced to Poe in in junior high school or high school, uh, probably Telltale Heart or Cascava Montalado. And I don't even really have a memory in college of, of, uh, again, I'm sure he was on the reading list for American lit surveys, but I I don't have, he didn't make an impression. (laughs) And so much so that I kind of absorbed the, I guess the scholarly snobbery uh, against him. Cause I, the, the kind of one clear memory I have is a friend of mine telling me, was his favorite author and i just laughed at him and said nobody takes him seriously of course i was wrong about that because people were <laughs> were already taking serious taking him seriously but as a, a new grad student I, I thought i knew um um the the kind of who you're supposed to take seriously and who not um, so it really wasn't until my phd program that i started thinking about him seriously I was going to do a a dissertation on antebellum southern fiction and both um, myself and my my dissertation director were kind of worried about me going on the job market with chapters about all these obscure historical romancers and plantation novelists. So we really wanted to get some canonical authors in there and Poe was definitely the the, the one who was um, kind of really the, the, the kind of became the star of the dissertation, just because he he really and he really fit well because he really his his works really highlight the fears and the anxieties that those Southerners in the mid nineteenth century um, had um, kind of more loudly than anybody else could proclaim them. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I think I'm okay. So I'm really sensing. I love this this through line. I mean, David, you mentioned Reagan's America. You've mentioned negative affects, right? And just for the public affect. There is kind of a study of affect theory and affect is emotion, just for all of you out there. Um, but there's anxiety that Paul you're mentioning. Um, and do you think that's because of when you encountered Poe like in grad studies, because of the American cultural time, which might be different than like just me encountering Poe in middle school in the early two thousands? Like, do you think we might have different literary readings of Poe because of the historic culture of our period?
0: I mean I think that's yeah definitely probably the case. I mean hearing David's story about his being kind of drawn to Poe, um, I mean for me that that seemed like a, a story about finding a queer space um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I definitely feel like I had a similar attraction to the 19th century, though my queer space was mostly Melville. Um, I was drawn to those novels where I thought I was seeing queer representation, um, but I, I feel like David's uh, way in through Poe is the same thing. It's just a different, a different kind of a perspective on, on, on the queer space um, that I think Poe ultimately gives us, or that readers find in Poe, I think maybe the, the better way to emphasize that.
2: Right. Wow. Right. Mm. but I mean I didn't you know it's not like I it's it's not like I had any kind of immediate sense that Poe was a queer author it's only mm-hmm. I mean actually I think it was I mean I'd, I'd always loved reading Poe and I and I I did gradually upgrade to a penguin edition of Poe's like <laughs> tales with the, with the raven on the cover yeah. that that conferred this kind of you know authorial legitimacy on Poe um but you know it it wasn't until graduate school and i started to really get interested in you know depictions of masculinity um particularly a masculinity that seemed to be rejecting all the traditional uh, you know uh, you know aspects of masculinity in, in particular you know m- you know heterosexual marriage and, mm-hmm. and and so on and so forth but also also um as i as I, you know, argued in my first book, um, they're not the men in these fictions are not only rejecting heterosexuality, they're also rejecting male companionship. Yeah. Well um, is this Men that,
1: Beyond Desire, just to plug yeah. that book?
2: Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you, Andrew. Yes. So I, you know, I mean, so uh Leslie Fiedler's thesis, you know, focuses so much on, you know, male friendship as an escape from what he calls the gentle tyranny of home and woman. Mm. But it seemed to me that friendship was was just as problematic in Poe's work as as you know traditional uh, romance. So um, and and I, I think the the story and I, and Paul will immediately um, I think share my my interest in this. I mean the story in 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 the the the, the story of Poe is, is the fall of the House of Usher that to me really kind of brought all this stuff together because. It is as much a portrait of a failed male friendship as it is an expression of horror at traditional relationships, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, well, and that's the story that all three of us, like <laughs> right. at the conference, we were like, Oh, okay, how are you what are you applying? Like, how are you looking at this angle? And like we've all kind of and we'll get there. Don't worry, audience. We'll all provide our own kind of reading. But something that really strikes me is, like, um, so I know, Paul, you mentioned reading Poe in middle school. David, had you been encountered? Did you encounter Poe in middle school?
2: Um, You know, no. I mean, I, I found Poe entirely on my own. I, I was never taught Poe at any point. It wasn't until I got to college and I took um, an amazing course called Hawthorne Poe in Melville. <laughs> Wow. It was the first time I actually took any of those authors really seriously. And also thinking about the three of them in unison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd always thought of Poe as kind of a private pleasure, you know, mm-hmm. something that kind of belonged to me. It wasn't on the curriculum. It wasn't mm-hmm. legitimate. I, I mean, I went to Catholic school, so I don't know if that means anything, but we, Poe was certainly never assigned. I mean, you know, we did To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> I mean, we didn't do Poe, so, um, you know, it it wasn't, it really wasn't until college that, you know, and that, that also, uh, you know, uh, clarifies that, you know, as, as, as professors, we have an enormous um, opportunity to shape what people think is legitimate, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and yeah, the reason I'm kind of harping on this middle school aspect is just because there was like a Poe fervor in my middle school. Like reading it, almost every year we would read a different Poe story because it actually started to become part of the Jersey, like curriculum of standardized testing and like they used Poe a lot for comprehension and, um, but I look back and I realize, wow, the like one of my favorites. I mean, I love all the stories. I love the Fall of the House of Usher, but actually, I think one of my Absolute favorite stories is The Mask of the Red Death because of how decadent it's very Oscar Wilde, picture of Dorian Gray like it's it's doesn't fit neatly in a genre, and I love those stories. And um, but I look at that, and it's like you said, David, almost this private, intimate experience. And I'm thinking, this is an interesting story to teach middle schoolers, or we even read The Fall of the House of Usher, um, and that this um, homosocial, the male friendships, but we can even try to push it to eroticism, which I know the three of us have all done in different ways. Um, you know, Paul most recently with his book on Poe and queerness. Um, so, of course, I'm going to mention the female queer literary critic in the room who, like, really ushered in that homoerotic social reading of male friendship, Eve Sedgwick, with Between Men. And I'm curious because you know i'm gonna reveal my age i just turned 30 but um and i'll pretend paul and david are you know they're in the 30 year old club in my mi- in my memory in my in my mind um but i'm assuming you both were either about to enter grad school or had just entered grad school that eve cedric's work work was still pretty new like she was probably alive and um you Do you remember when that came out, Between Men or Epistemology of the Closet? Like, was it as groundbreaking as I've read it, as, you know, a queer critical text that you need to read in this genealogy? The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is so happy to welcome Broadview Press as our official sponsor. Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities, mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history. They always publish with an eye towards diversity, so there is a strong list of titles from women, people of color and other authors from marginalized groups. In the summer of 2022, they launched their new Broadview anthology of American literature, which increases diversity in the classroom because it rethinks the American canon and breathes new life into the American literary survey. It's actually been called, quote, the new gold standard in the field. I love using Broadview Press text in my own classroom at Stony Brook University. I can't wait to use the new Anthology of American Literature when I have the opportunity. And for all of you out there, Broadview Press has given us the official code, Ivory Tower, for 20% off site-wide on broadviewpress.com. Again, that is code Ivory Tower for 20% off. And now a message from the Gay and Lesbian Review.
3: Hello, listeners. This is Stephen Hemmerick, the publisher of the GLR. Here with a special offer just for you. For those of you who aren't familiar with the GLR, let me provide a little background. The GLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books plays, and movies, and a number of special features such as artists' profiles and the popular art memo column. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, though you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. For example, the theme of the current issue is Queens and Kings, and it features an article by Andrew Holleran about Truman Capote's relationships with glamorous women, the woman he called his swans. Now for the special offer. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven issues instead of six. Visit GeoReview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot O-R-G. Click subscribe and enter promo code ITBR for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archive issues of the magazine.
0: Well, I mean, I think so. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it was just Sedgwick. There was a whole moment of a lot of queer theory um, and queer criticism coming out in the mid to late 90s. Um, But yes, I definitely have my signed copy of Aposcomale Apology of the Closet that I will treasure. Um, um, And so, um, yeah, so it did, did mean something really important, and I think mostly it's just because it was the academy sanctioning this um, um, this this approach to literature. I was at the University of Tennessee in those years, and and four brave souls started a queer theory reading group, um, and um, and of course just the phrase put off so many people. Um but we 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 did it. <laughs> we read Queer Theory and and um, so um Leo Bersani and Michael Warner. Um we were reading all of that stuff as it was coming out and we didn't understand all of it. Um but we we definitely were were finding things that seemed relevant and important there.
1: Yeah David Halperin. Yeah. I I oh that time I don't know like is the rectum a grave by Leo Bersani. Exactly. I mean talk about a creative mm-hmm. essay. Mm-hmm. But I know David's like
2: ready. He's,
3: yeah, yeah, <laughs> well,
2: yeah. we, well, I mean, so I was, you know, I think I was still closeted at some point in my early 20s when I first got wind of this this, I don't know, c- critical movement known as queer theory. And I remember reading an article in the New Republic that said, Why not gay studies? Mm-hmm. And and I, and I think that. You know, and there was like a picture of a classical b- male bust on the cover. You know, and I was like, "This is intriguing." So, <laughs> I remember that was my first exposure to to Eve Sedgwick. Um, you know, and that was that was in, that was still in you know in the early nineties. Um, but something about something about Sedgwick in particular is that she almost became something of a crossover celebrity. Mm-hmm. I think if people knew about this, they knew about her her work. Um, I have to say that I'm I'm very very grateful for the fact that um, when I was in college I won a McNair Fellowship, which gave me an opportunity to work with um, a, a professor um, doing a kind of summer course, basically, uh, you know. And the one that I the 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 course that I proposed is I wanted to learn about queer theory. So here I am, you know, at you know Hunter College, New York. Once, you know, uh, the, in those days, and one summer I just spent for the first time reading Sedgwick and Judith Butler. Um, also, Jonathan Dollimore, who wrote oh, *Sexual yes. Dissidents*, which is oh, very important. I don't hear
1: his name a lot. David is well. I'm assuming, sadly, he is. No, no, no. Oh, he's, he's alive. He's alive. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: He's he's on Facebook. I often <laughs> oh good on
1: shoot Facebook.
2: yeah. No, no, he's on Facebook. Okay,
1: Jonathan, um, shout out to Jonathan Dallimore. <laughs> we'll have to yeah, have him on eventually. No, I love well, his work. Maybe,
2: well, well yeah. you know, that would be great. So, um, yeah, but, you know, just just actually immersing myself in in, in these works um, and having a very, uh, it was, a, 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 I was assigned a professor named Stephen Kruger, who's a medievalist at Queens College, who's just a fantastic person to work with. And just being guided through these works with a very kind of, you know, by a very kind interlocutor, who's also very knowledgeable, was just extremely helpful. So I I really am grateful for that experience.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because when I entered, so I went to Kane in North Jersey for my undergrad. Then I, you know, went out to Stony Brook for my PhD. And like, we're talking about 2011, no, 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 sorry. 2012 to the current moment. And I had John Gruzer as my Hawthorne Poe Melville um, professor, you know, all of us in post studies know John Gruiser, such a sweet man, Um, and he was a great professor. Um, And I feel like I was in a moment though, where if homoerotic elements weren't discussed, then it was an issue. Like, Like in the classroom now, especially, I feel if you don't talk about same sex desire, a student will probably call you out, not call you out, but they're going to insert it themselves into the conversation. But it's very interesting when I, you know, have these cross-generational conversations because it was not always like that. Like you would never just be like, yeah, but we need more than Sedgwick's between men. Like we need to add in, you know, what is it like when um, sex is actually on the page? Like, that now we actually have novels where, you know, men are in the bedroom together and it's in the open. Like we don't, it doesn't, the closet has its space, but we're, you know, actually in the bedroom, um, on the bed. So, you know, how do you both reflect maybe on that, like on just yourselves in the classroom or, you know, reflecting on when you were grad students and the current
0: moment? I mean, it's definitely a very different world. I mean, I remember my first semester of grad school, we had to do presentations in an American novel class. And I did a gay presentation. I did a reading of three Melville novels, Redburn, White Jacket, and Moby Dick. And said we're moving towards a depiction of gay marriage. And really nobody knew, the teacher certainly, the professor certainly did not know (laughs) what to say about it. He was not prepared for that conversation or that that topic to come up. And so it mostly was pretty awkward, but I'm pretty proud that the kid I was in that year did that. Um, and but yeah, you're right. now, I mean everybody, even in the earliest undergraduate class, students are very comfortable talking about those issues and they will bring them up even if you don't. Um, and yeah, I think you're right that the world has changed and the, the, the conversations we're willing to have or see as necessary are are are, are so so different than than when we started school. Um, and maybe David and I, I don't know exactly if we're the same age or not but.
2: Um. I, well, I mean, yeah, I think we have similar experiences. Paul. I mean, I you know, it's funny. I, I I feel like there are certain contexts in which talking about queer issues is not only permissible but inevitable or or encouraged. So I mean, when I, for instance, when I teach my Hitchcock class, mm-hmm. you know, wearing my film studies hat, I I, I mean, you know, just just most recent the most recent time I taught it was was in the spring. I mean you know, I certainly couldn't even keep up with the kind of queer readings that were proliferating, you know, amongst my students. But then, you know, I taught, I taught in, you know, an English 101 uh, the same semester and I did, you know, a variety of works, but I did Street Named Desire. And when we got to the whole passage that was expurgated from the 1950s film about uh, Blanche Dubois first husband, Alan and, and, and when she discovers him in bed with another man, and uh, that extraordinary monologue of Blanche's, where she said she recalls what she said to Alan, you know, I I know I saw you disgust me, and then he runs out and he kills himself. He he shoots himself. I, I you know my students were really my students were 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 very uncomfortable with all of that all of that stuff. Um, I was really surprised. Um, You know, they were, I I think they were respectfully silent as we discussed this. So, I, you know, even though we're in this fantastic moment of sort of a plethora of queer approaches, and also I think trans studies has really kind of reshaped a lot of the stuff. But I I, I think I don't really take it for granted that we're in a kind of, you know, uh, endlessly um, open queer moment where these, I, I still think it's contested territory.
1: Yeah. No, and I think definitely, um, you know, we need to, like you're saying, recognize that, that um, also depending on like where in the country you are, like you might face more backlash from students or even, especially, I mean, in K through 12, it's a whole other, yeah. you know set of circumstances, because academic speech is, I mean, you have academic speech, but you also have to be beholden to the curriculum. Um, so, right, like doing a queer poe reading, which we did in middle school. I mean, I don't know if I would say queer <laughs> poe, but we did like at least these like men are, you know, chummy and bro having a bromance in the fall of the wow. house of Usher. Um, but it was also, I was taught by a lot of, Masters or grad student high school teachers, who like were writing their thesis on you, know, like having read Sedgwick or like at least they knew these conversations. and it was encouraged by New Jersey or even you know, New York, I would say similar circumstances. But you know, if you're in Florida, it might be a very different conversation um, especially now with like the don't say Gay bill and all of these elements. So yes, David, I'm glad you brought that. You know the reality end mm-hmm. too but i something i'm curious about is and this is a difficult question so you know bear with me but mm-hmm. especially because you two i can assume have had at least 20 years if not more in the academy you know oh even from your oh grad student has it,
2: been, time. has it been that long <laughs>
1: I'm aging them now but um you know they're still glowing academics and always glowing yeah um but do you feel like that there's been a is it like a roping off thinking of the phrase like a sectioning off of and we can get into the difference between gay and lesbian studies and queer studies which I still kind of wonder like where is gay, is there still a gay studies or has it all just fallen into queer studies? But um, do you feel like those who are doing the work that you two are doing and that, you know, I'm a part of, that you're kind of in your own little community in your university or do you feel that these readings have been integrated into every faculty member's vernacular? especially in the classroom?
0: I mean, I think it's pretty widespread. Um, So I would say, I mean, probably not every one of my colleagues, but certainly a lot of them, especially people coming from, like with women and gender studies backgrounds and theoretical backgrounds. I feel like, I mean, they may not um, spend much of their time writing about where um, topics or issues or approaches, but I'm certain in their classrooms that it shows up. Um, so yeah, so I, I mean I don't feel like I'm kind of cordoned off into a, a, some kind of subsection <laughs> of, of, of literary studies or or, or theoretical approaches. Um, I don't know what David. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean I think I think queer queer approaches have been so integrated into what most people most people are doing um I mean in fact I think it's probably there, there's more of an onus on us to sort of reclaim the radicalism of queer theory and queer approaches because I think it has become mm-hmm. fairly widespread um and you know it's certainly certainly a lot of the people who sort of write from a queer theory perspective are also not queer identifying either mm-hmm. so you know there's there's all that um well Eve Sedgwick yeah, yeah, the big that's, example of that. that. That's true. That's true. Although she's such a, she's she was such an ally that she kind of transcended the categories. Oh yes, some, yes, you, yeah. You no, know. they
1: are there are good acting agents. I don't want to <laughs> you know make
2: that. But yeah, yeah, yeah But I, I'm always, I'm I'm kind of sometimes astonished at at the, you know the the, the appeal of it for people who are not queer identifying um but but sort of have immersed themselves in it um i'm sure i'm sure we can all think of examples of people but um you know i also think i i don't know maybe i'm strange or just an an outlier or something i mean i also don't feel like my own approach is particularly i don't know um emblematic of of what queer theory approaches to these questions have been i mean you know as i've written before i mean i i you know i I've been chafing against the Foucaultian sort of reading of sexuality in the 19th century for a long time, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those, I'm one of those rare a- queer academics for whom Foucault is not a hero or a guy or a mentor. That's me too. I, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. No, well, I find his,
1: way. no, no, I'm in your camp. I find his writing interesting, but I yeah, think yeah. that, um, I see it more as just speculative writing and not really based in, he's trying to do historiography, but I don't see the history. I kind of see, well, he was in philosophy. He was trained as a philosopher. So I feel like, um, he makes a lot of large claims, like which we're supposed to do as academics and it's groundbreaking, but, um, his language is difficult. I think for jargon, he, uh, can be really difficult to teach about um he can be difficult to teach to especially students to undergrad students interesting
2: well i mean i you know I, of course he's one of the great thinkers uh, yes. i mean it's not it's in no way you know to to uh, uh to diss foucault but i mean it, it's it's interesting to me as much as anything to track the widespread proliferation of his ideas, mm. um, you know, and the way that some of his ideas became dogma, in particular, you know, this, his, you know, he's a brilliant rhetorician who was also very involved in the English translations of his work, so he, you know, he his writing has this incredible rhetorical punch, right, mm-hmm. but, you know, that line from History of Sexuality Volume 1, you know, the homosexual became a species, you know, in the 1860s, it has to be one of the most decisive sentences in 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 you know academic writing um and it's 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 amazing to me how long that approach has persisted that there was no homosexual presence you know before this this you know kind of rhetorical moment mm-hmm. of the 1860s so you know, I, there are a lot of there are a lot of debates, of course, within queer theory about how to approach questions of sexual history. No, this isn't
1: thank you, David, because you just made my job so much easier. This is such a good like jumping off point because I think it um, will really get us into each of our approaches. and especially like where I kind of have seen, the work that, you know, you and Paul and so many mentors, queer studies mentors I look up to, queer literary theorists I look up to, um, that the biography, like for Foucault, he was very interested in identity and this biography approach. Um, Even we can say Cedric too, of like the playful game of Shakespeare's gay, Plato's gay, Melville's gay, Hawthorne's, I don't know, everyone is gay basically. And it's this just rhetorical uh, game she wants to do to just bring it out of the closet, which I respect, understand, right? There's a time that had to be done for what we're talking about now. But I am kind of curious, like where, um, right? How sexual language is used, right? Like saying Poe is gay, This is anachronistic, right? It's out of time, right? We're getting into kind of Paul and the queerness of time. Um, I know David, your work has looked into that too about the antebellum period. So before the civil war. Um, And I kind of feel like now that's actually where queer studies, I don't wanna say fracturing, but just the, and it's not even a debate. I think it's just kind of, figuring out, like you said, David, like what's the radicalism in queer studies? And maybe it's, are we more interested in the biography of an author and their queerness? Or are we more interested in the actual like work, the mask of the red death and the elements of queerness in the work and kind of trying to like, see if we can separate Poe as much as we can. So I know I know I offered a lot there, but yeah, what's going on? Well, can we actually separate the author from their work, from their short story, poetry, film, uh, music, right? That's an age-old question. Um, So when it comes to Poe, does he have to be queer? Does Whitman have to be queer in order for their work to be queer? Well, this is only the beginning of my discussion with David Grevin and Paul Jones. So, yes, to listen to the rest of the episode where each of us discusses our own queer reading of Poe, you have to head to our Patreon, to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. Head to patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Yeah, I spelled it out for you. And I had such a good time with both David and Paul. I love having these queer academic conversations. Also, I'm releasing a video of this conclusion. So go to our social media to TikTok, Instagram, at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Because I'm actually wearing some Ivory Tower Boiler Room merchandise. Yes, I am wearing an Ivory Tower Boiler Room t-shirt, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room hat. And I just made a really nice gingerbread tea, and it's in my Ivory Tower Boiler Room mug. So you all can get your own Ivory Tower Boiler Room merchandise. Do you want a hat? Do you want a shirt? Do you want our mug? Do you want our tote bag? The options are endless. So if you want any Ivory Tower Boiler Room merch, it's an amazing logo. Um, Who doesn't want the Ivory Tower with flames coming out of it? Um. Such an apt metaphor for a lot going on in our culture right now. Um, Email us at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. Very easy to remember. And just ask, you know, what kind of merch do you want? And I will respond right back to you with the prices and get your address and get your Venmo. And you're going to have Ivory Tower Boiler Room merchandise. It's that easy. Also, There's so much on Patreon, and you're going to hear more about that because I just recorded a new bookmark, a new uh, winter bookmark with Mary DePippi because we're almost in the winter. We're still in the fall. But here on Long Island, it feels like the winter. But, you know, we're still in the fall. But it's a little teaser for you. So here is the new bookmark that I recorded with Mary. Bye, everyone. Hi, Ivory Tower Boiler Room audience. It is Andrew Rimby, the director of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to our winter season. And are you trying to stay warm this season? Well, guess what? We have the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. It is our Patreon where there is so much bonus content. So I'll go over all that. But first, it's only $5, which is less. Then a latte, a cappuccino, a coffee, a tea, basically anything now because, you know, we have some inflation going on. So join us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. What do you get? You get Gregory Maguire giving us all the scoop on the Wicked Movie musical. You get Jesse Green giving us his hot takes on the Broadway musical. If you don't know who Jesse is, well, you should, because he's the chief theater critic of the New York Times. You get all the JFK and Marilyn Monroe scoop from Elizabeth Winder, a Marilyn Monroe biographer. So much more. You get all our video interviews. You can see everything, including the bonus content. And Mary's going to tell you, From true crime and academia what you get later but if you're not following us on social media and seeing our video teasers well you need that to stay you know nice and energized on these winter days so follow us on instagram and tiktok at ivory tower boiler room while it's still here why don't you follow us on twitter at ivory boiler room and here's my chief contributor mary
2: Hey, True Crime friends and Ivory Tower Boiler Room friends. Like Andrew said, you're going to get access to all of this bonus content. That includes True Crime and Academia. So not only will you have access to the bonus episode each month, you will also have video access to the interviews that I conduct on my podcast once a month. You get all of that extra content at your fingertips whenever you feel like watching it, literally for a cup of coffee. So why don't you just buy us one? That'd be so nice. We would appreciate that because we love your support already, but we could use a little bit more if you don't. Oh, yes,
1: we could. And also, hey, do you all know you can actually DM us questions at our social media channels? Yes. Also, why don't you ask us questions with our social media posts? We love it. We even shout out questions on our episodes. And if you want, you can always email us at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com to actually order our merchandise. So Mm -hmm. we have hats, we have t-shirts, we have posters, we have everything. If you want any merchandise with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room logo, we're going to make it happen for you. Okay, on that note, happy winter season, everyone. Happy winter.